Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Tonic Vibes and Ember Wave. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm here today with my friend Becca Lustgarten, who's a performer based in Los Angeles and is posing for me right now, which you can't see. (laughs) (laughs) And she's on the show today to talk to us because she's got one of the more commonly diagnosed illnesses that we haven't talked about on the show yet, which is celiac disease. So Becca, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, total pleasure. We've been trying to make this happen for a while now, so glad that we were able to. (laughs) So um, let's just jump right into it. Can you tell us when and how you first realized that you had something going on, like with your digestive system? And absolutely. I think I was always a relatively sickly child, mm-hmm. um, like really stomach sensitive, always very, always very sensitive um, in, in connection to what else was going on in my life. Uh, and even as a small kid, I was aware of the fact that like if I was having a bad day or if I was having a fight with a friend or having trouble uh, on a test or something like that, my stomach would be really overly active uh, mm-hmm. and not so happy with me. So there's a part of me that kind of expected something like this to be true uh, later on in my life. But anyhow. I essentially found out my first year living in New York City. So this was either late 2009 or early 2010. I can't exactly remember, but somewhere in that realm. Mm. Um, And I had had no real awareness of any dietary issues up until that point. There were periods where we thought, oh, maybe I'm, you know, uh, lactose intolerant or something like that. But that was quickly brushed aside. Mm. I did live in Italy for six months. I studied abroad there and ate, you know, all of the pasta and the pizza and like all of it. And when I came back, so my senior year of college, when I came back from being in Italy, I recall feeling like something was weird. But again, like Mm. never weird enough that I took it seriously and went to a doctor. But it was weird in Italy? No, it was weird when I came back. And that's fairly common. Uh, For people with celiac, they often talk about how there's like a, there's a, there's a trigger moment or some sort of inciting incident experience in their lives that kind of unlock the thing. Oh, interesting. So it's possible that I was totally fine until I went to Italy or until I, until I had something really, you know, high in gluten when I came back and my system was like, whoa, we're awake now. You're allergic. So I was working at a bakery in New York City called Alice's Teacup. Oh, I love that place. (laughs) 
everybody has that reaction. Yeah. It's like it's so famous now. Um, yeah, so I was working at their original location on the Upper West Side. And, and it, the irony that you were working in a bakery. Well, and that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like, that, this is a huge part of why I found out. So, um, I, you know, first year, year and a half in New York, I was over the honeymoon stage. I was fairly depressed. Mm. Uh, I was eating a lot. Mm. And I was eating a lot of the baked goods that they would give us at the end of the day. So their their whole thing was at the end of service, when the when the place closed, if they had a whole bunch extra, they would just let the staff take these things home because... They actually weren't allowed to donate them, which oh. I, I always thought was really upsetting. But there there are, like, um, certain rules about that and, and yeah. cleanliness and hygiene. I know, yeah. Sure, right. It you sucks, can't. Yeah, you're like, the health department won't let you. But then it doesn't stop you from donating them. <laughs> sure, that's true. That's true. And we could have done that, actually. Yeah. But there was never... I don't know why we never did that. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. You, you wanted to eat them. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> so I would go home, you know, like, in the middle of the day, I'd be eating cake and cookies and whatever. And then I would take a box of scones and cake and you know, blondie brownies and whatever the hell else that they had um, to, to just give to us at the end of the day. I would take it home and I would ride the Crosstown bus and then get on the subway. And during that trip, I'd probably eat like two or three of the things in the box. And I mean, it was a regular thing. I was eating a lot of it. And I would bring some home to my roommate and she and I were living um, in Harlem at the time, 143rd and Broadway. And it was so hot. It was, I remember it being like, dead of summer it was so disgustingly hot and we didn't have central air so we would eat these crappy snacks Mm. uh instead of dinner and then go sit out on the balcony and drink a bunch of beer because it was so hot oh man and i was waking up every day feeling like absolute garbage just complete and utter garbage and for those who are listening who don't necessarily know there's a lot of gluten in beer Ah, uh, yeah, it's a wheat product. Yes, just yes. FYI, guys. And and if I may, on a slight tangent, people always talk to me about like what kind of gluten free vodka do you have or gluten free gin? Spirits do not have gluten; they are mm-hmm. distilled within an inch of their lives. Beer is not distilled the same way, so yeah. beer is highly glutinous and really, really bad for me. Anyway, we could talk about that forever. I, give, I work in a bar, so I'm yeah. always just like, you guys are so dumb. <laughs> you really know, because I'm actually really curious, really because I remember going through a thing where I was like, okay, I have to have potato vodka and not, like, regular vodka. And, well, I mean, know. perhaps some of that is, like, that could, that could have to do with um, preservatives and other things mm. that are being put in. The, God knows. I, I don't know enough about that to really speak But also speak they're fermented so much, as Yes, within yeah. an inch of their lives. Anyhow, all that's to say... You know, I was drinking all this beer. I was eating all this crap that my body just absolutely couldn't deal with. And I was waking up feeling really, really terrible. Now, the thing about celiac is that everybody who has it mm. has a radically different experience with it in terms of symptoms. And the symptoms are kind of anything and everything, oh, right? Like, you ask one person what their experience is when they have a flare-up. It's going to entail, you know, five things that I, as a person with celiac, don't ever experience when I have a flare-up. Mm. So it's really, really hard to pinpoint. So it's not just that you get the shits. No, it's, like it's much not. More it's much more complicated yeah. than that. Um, and so... Although that can be part of it. Well, and it yeah. usually is, but yeah. that's not just the thing, right? Right. Um, and so oftentimes it manifests as like kind of a hangover feeling, right? Mm. So really, really heavy head, um, super tired, really sluggish, sometimes kind of achy or feverish, mm. uh, definitely stomach upset, sometimes just cramping, mm. um, sometimes no diarrhea, but like extreme discomfort. Yeah. There are all sorts of things, right? And so it, it kind of feels the way it does when you've had too much booze the night before. Like it honestly does. And so I just thought, oh God, I really have to cut down on my drinking. That was my solution. Yeah. But still eat all the, you know, all the scones and the cookies <laughs> and the cake. And cutting down on your drinking doesn't mean cutting it out either. <laughs> no, it really, really doesn't. But you know, at that time it was nowhere near in my consciousness that mm. this was a thing that I was going through. Right. Yeah. 
So one of the guys that I worked with at Alice's, my manager at the time, who I also knew from back in the day, so we were really friendly, he was talking to me about how he had recently gone to see an allergist because he was experiencing a lot of symptoms that he couldn't couldn't pinpoint. Mm. He knew that there was something happening with his with his diet, some sort of allergy, but he wasn't exactly sure what it was. Mm. So he went to an allergist in New York and he Which got is smart. Right. Like that's a thing to do. Yeah. And he was the first person that I actually knew directly who had gone and taken that step. I didn't actually know anybody else who'd gone to an allergist. So oh, that was that was new for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is also 2009, 2010. Like, it, now I feel like people talk about this stuff far more frequently. Yeah. Back then, it wasn't really a thing that you stood around chatting about with your friends. Right. Um, so, again, you know, he was my boss, too. So there's that. But... He started telling me about the, the the testing that he had done. They did blood work, and they also did... I don't know the actual specific name for this, but it's... I call it prick testing, which is where mm. they, they have these contraptions that almost look like two-by-four two pieces of wood, and then they have all these needles, very, very thin, tiny needles on the wood, mm. and each of them has a different allergen on them. How did they and, put them on so specifically onto tiny little needles? Like, well, it's such a system. Science? I don't know. I really yeah, don't science know. Is I really, crazy. really don't know. I have no idea. And then basically what they do, I mean, I know this is a podcast, so no one can see what I'm doing, but She's if, you were to her arm. if you were to take a two-by-four with nails on it and press it onto your forearm. Which doesn't sound fun to begin with. It actually doesn't hurt. It, you, you would think that it would, but it doesn't. The needles are, it's like acupuncture style needles, super, super, really, super really thin. Tiny, so you, yeah. I mean, you feel a little like, eh, but it's not, it doesn't hurt. Right. And then, so basically they prick you. And it's on the inside of your forearm. Yes, it is. It, kind of like it, when we got the old um, TB tests and they were those yes. things where like sometimes they would raise and sometimes they wouldn't. Very much. Similar kind of thing. Very much. And so then essentially what they do is they watch you. You have to stay in the office and they watch to see what happens to your skin. Mm. And when you're allergic to something, your skin will tell you. It gets all red. It gets all raised. It gets, you know, it's mm. it's very, very clear. So that's part of the testing, and then they do the blood testing. There are multiple factors, and I'm not a doctor, and I, I so I don't remember exactly how all of this stuff goes. I was also, Sorry. like, totally in denial when it happened. I was so oh, upset when it was happening. So I kind of only really remember part of what she said to me, which is that I don't have the worst case of celiac, but I do have it. Like, there are different, there are different kinds, there are different levels, I guess. Right. And I'm somewhere in the, I'm, I have it, but it's not like I'll be on my ass if I have anything that's even come in contact with something bread or flour related, right? Got it. So, my first question to the doctor was like, does this mean I can't have beer? That was my biggest, like, sad, <laughs> I was so upset about that. And she was like, yeah, and yeah, and that's just the beginning. It's like, obviously, you're going to have to totally rearrange the way you're eating. Yeah. She also told me that I had to go on an elimination diet, which is now far more common, right? People yes. now know what this is. But at the time, I was like, the hell are you talking about, lady? What do you mean? What am I supposed to eat? Well, and also when you're, like, <laughs> struggling to survive in New York City and, like, yeah. busting your ass to try and make your career happen, the last thing you have time for is, like, planning your meals. <laughs> Right. You know, right, especially right. in a city where you can get food anywhere you are so you can right. get it on the run, you know, like, right. I mean, we were talking about this even when I came in today to interview you, yeah. like when we're on the run and we have to grab things and whatever, but it's like, it does really put a wrench in plans, doesn't it? Yes. And I was a child and yeah. I was depressed. I was like yeah. very much in a dark place with my relationship to New York anyway, mm. even though I had yet to fully acknowledge it. Love so this relationship to yourself. Right. Exactly right. So, so this just made, it was very, you know, it was a complicated moment. Yep. But I essentially did what she asked and, you know, within a few weeks I felt very, very different. I remember walking down the street in Manhattan and calling my dad and saying, I think I've been sick this whole time and I had no idea. 
I just didn't realize. And now that I'm not sick and I have energy mm-hmm. and I have some drive to do things, I want to make a nice meal for myself. I want to go exercise. I want, I'm, I feel much more like vibrant now mm-hmm. than I did. It's like someone sort of rubbed the mirror, like yeah. the film away from my face. And suddenly I was, I was seeing everything fully and feeling everything fully. So yeah. from that point on, it was like, all right, cool. This is what's happening. This is this is my deal. I'm just gonna figure out a way to get through it. And well, yeah, and if you're feeling good, you kind of don't mess with that, do you? Right. It's you worth know? it. People yeah. were always like, "Oh, come on, you could just have a little piece of." Well, no, that's not the way it works for celiac. It's really not. Oh, so tell us about that. The thing about this disease is that it actually destroys the lining of my stomach. Right. If I were to have a piece of bread or a piece of pizza, uh, anything like that. It goes inside of me and it kills my insides Mm. and it's painful and it doesn't heal very easily. And so what happens is then it's, it's damaged Mm. and then it makes everything else harder. So people with celiac have, uh, are notoriously at risk for malabsorption, um, because they, they, their systems are compromised and they can't absorb as much as they need to from Mm. their food. So it's just a whole can of worms. It's not the kind of thing that you can just... I, there's no pill for it. I can't like I'm. I'm gonna take my lactate before I have my ice cream. There's no such thing as you that. You just have to stop with the gluten, and it can be really, really bad. I mean, this last year when Jay and I were in New York, and Jay my, is your boyfriend, my boyfriend, and I were in New York. We I got sick a lot, mm-hmm. and it felt like when I got sick, it was it was crappy for a few days and painful and all the things that I described before. And then if I were to get sick on top of that again within another month that version of it was so much worse. Right. It just hurts and hurts and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So mm. it's really, really important for people like me to never slip, quote unquote, right? right? To never like, there is no such thing as cheating because the body really can't recover. Yeah. I mean, how does that look though? I mean, look, we're in LA and mm. we're living in New York. These are places where gluten-free options are available. Yeah. What about people who are in a food desert as we like to call them, you know, like who are in the middle of, you know, maybe a farming state where in terms of the produce they're getting, maybe they're not getting access to gluten-free options. Is it something where you have to say to yourself, I'm not allowed to eat cake anymore? Or are there ways to make that happen in a compliant way so that your body doesn't hurt? I mean, I I think they're traveling. What's the challenge? Oh, sure. I, I do think like for me, And this is a tiny bit of a rewind in order to answer the question, but it was really important for me to educate myself. So I bought a bunch of books and I read because I I only barely understood what this meant. Uh, And so I did a lot of research in terms of like what products that are found in, in everyday, you know, supermarket trips where is their gluten hidden? Like in what sort of dressings and marinades and, you know, there are all sorts of ways in which people hide gluten. It's used as a preservative too. Right. And like it's in, it's in soy sauce. That's a yeah. huge deal. And like now everybody seems to know that, but at the time, no one knew Not that, Not everybody right? knows that though. Yeah. I mean, it is a really big thing. So like learning, learning the things that I can specifically say in a restaurant mm-hmm. rather than saying I'm, I, I'm allergic to this or I'm intolerant of this where sometimes you run the risk of someone not taking you seriously. Mm-hmm. It was important for me to be able to say, is there any this, 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 this in this dish? Is right. there any flour? Is there any soy sauce? Is there any barley? Is there any, like, I have a list of things that I can ask you about. Mm. And if you say no to all those things, then I trust that we're all on the same page as opposed Mm. to generally saying like, I'm allergic to this. Can you make sure it's fine? You know, eight times out of 10, that server is going to be like, yeah, it's no big deal. And then you're going to get sick. So although people do take food allergies more seriously in restaurants now, particularly because of anaphylactic shock. 
Now, yes, yes, absolutely. In 2010, that was not the case. Yeah. Not the case. Well, and is it also something with celiac where I know with nut allergies, for example, that people generally uh, can't even have food if it's in the same facility, Um, even if the equipment's been washed Mm -hmm. and there were nuts on it, Mm -hmm. they can never have food that's touched that equipment. Is it the same kind of thing with celiac? It can be. It's Mm -hmm. not for me. Right. Because I like, as I mentioned, it's, I, I'm not, I don't have such an extreme case, right. uh, but I do have friends who have, who have that level of allergy. And here's mm. the thing. You just order things. You order things that you are told don't touch other things that are a problem or you make your food at home. And that's kind of that. The other thing I was going to say in terms of like how, to, if you're traveling, how to find food that's compliant and yada, yada. I would say in general, the thing to think about is you know, whole, unprocessed, natural state foods. Fruit, vegetables, and meat. Nuts, things like that. Like, for Mm -hmm. me, if I'm really at a loss, if I'm struggling to figure out what to eat, that's what I go to. Mm -hmm. I go to the things that would never have had gluten in them anyway. I don't have to worry about it. Things that are, like, already in a a state that I I know and trust. That's what I kind of gravitate towards. Right. Uh, And I I think that that's, generally speaking, a good way to eat anyway, right? Like, we feel mm-hmm. better when we eat that way. So I don't always succeed at that at home, but... Sure. It's actually, interestingly, around. it's it's very much like the paleo. Oh, sure. Um, or, or even keto in some ways, diets. Absolutely. Because you're really just taking out carbs and refined anything. Right. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing, too, in terms of the way that with knowledge over the last, what is this now, almost 10 years... Yeah. With the knowledge and experience that we've developed as a culture, there's also come an abundance of product mm. that's not necessarily good for us either. Right. Yeah. Cause like, you know, it's for me when I, when I couldn't eat any cookies for a while and then I walk into a store and there's a whole wall of gluten-free option cookies, I'm going to eat all of them. And yeah. that's not good either. Like that it makes you, a, it gives you that binge relationship to your eating, doesn't it? Which yeah, is healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I still think no matter what balance and, and as close to whole and untouched mm-hmm. yeah, food, better, generally better for the body. You mentioned that there were a bunch of books that you got and a lot of research you did. Were there a few books or even communities that you gravitated toward that you found to be the most useful for you in terms of learning about your illness? Yeah. I mean, I think the Celiac Foundation has a website. I don't remember the exact address. Oh, I'll I'll post the link. There's there's a foundation and now there are multiple organizations that have online resources. These days, I just think that's the best possible way. Some of them even have search tools where you can say like, is this compliant? And Mm. what about this particular product and this sauce? And they'll have like listings. And then there are also, you know, sites that you can use to search for gluten-free compliant restaurants in your area. Mm. Um, There's also all this writing that's been done about like national chains and the best option for varying degrees of celiac at certain chain restaurants and, you know, especially if you're like on a road trip and you're stuck in the middle of nowhere and right. what do I eat at Applebee's, et cetera, right? Which is lucky because I, in a sense, it's in a sense, it's lucky to have this illness because so many people do have it, mm-hmm. that there is an awareness yes. in the wider community that people are actually responding to it, yes. you know, in restaurants and supermarkets and things like that. Yeah. And in my experience, the best way to know if someone in the, in that kind of place, a restaurant, a bar, a, a whatever, a diner mm-hmm. is on the same page with you is if they ask you the question that you asked earlier, which is, are you okay if something touches something else? If they ask me that question, I know I'm in good hands. Right. Like I can have French fries. A lot of people with my disease cannot go anywhere near French fries if they aren't solely, if that fryer isn't solely used for fries alone with no other product or in that oil. oil yeah. Right. Like, at my restaurant where I, bar restaurant where I work, we have fried chicken on the menu. 
and they mm. fry it in the same fryer. So and cute. I, but like, I almost, I don't get sick from it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's like the process of frying, the way it's cooked. It, it falls off. There's only like microscopic pieces yeah. of flour. I don't get sick, but other people would. And so it's important for the person serving them mm, to, to say, okay, like how severe is it? Are mm-hmm. you going to get sick if, and as soon as I'm asked that question, I'm at peace. I know that like I'm in good hands because I can tell you in all certainty what I can have and not have. But if you don't ask me that question, I don't know whether you're actually present for what I'm experiencing. And that's really good feedback, isn't it? Particularly in the restaurant industry. It's not enough just to be aware of people's allergies and say, are there any allergies if you're a server or, you know, managing a restaurant Mm -hmm. or even aware in the kitchens. But you have to also ask about the severity of the allergies if there are allergies involved. For sure. And I often, you know, anytime I overhear someone asking a question about an allergy, when I'm at work specifically, but even sometimes when I'm just out in the world, I will interject. I will say something like, how severe is it? Like, what's your deal? Where, 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 where are you on the spectrum of this challenge mm. with your body? And if they say it's really severe, I will point blank say to that person, don't eat here. Yeah. Don't eat here. Don't eat here because you're going to get sick and not because we don't care about you. Not because we're but not actually trying, because you care. <laughs> but like you are going to get sick. Don't yeah. chance it. I've had a couple of people. I actually had a person with a severe nut allergy that I told like, go away. Or like, just don't even, don't even leave your house. <laughs> I, I literally don't know why you're here. Like you, yeah. there is no way. And he was like, yeah, I'll go into shock and have to be it, like taken to the emergency room. I was like, absolutely not. My first question would be, and do you have an EpiPen handy for when you inhaled peanuts? He said that he did. And I was still like, please don't eat here. Please, yeah. please don't. I don't, I can't sleep at night. I won't be able to. Well, and it also be okay. then becomes a liability to you guys. And it's like, if someone is knowingly eating something like that's also, where's the balance in terms of, of blame or, or responsibility? Right. Is the word I should use, you know, like if you're someone who has an allergy, it's as much your responsibility to tell people in a restaurant or wherever you are as it is their responsibility to ask, you Mm -hmm. know, like that really should be a question that should be asked all the time because there are more people with food allergies than not. Yeah. And we're beginning to realize that. Oh, sure. And these are allergies that people have had for generations, but you know, we didn't know what they were. We didn't. Partially it's the, the the advances in science, mm-hmm. but it's also partially social advances, isn't it? And like, you know, people talking about this more, yeah. which leads me to my next question, which is about advocacy. Um, it sounds like you're, you're pretty on it and you know your stuff, you know? So when you were finding out about celiac, mm-hmm. did you at any point ever feel like you needed someone to advocate for you? either coming to doctor's appointments with you or like even sticking up for you when you were at a restaurant, you know, like, did you need to lean on someone? Uh, that's such a good question. I, I think, um, I probably did. And mm. I, and I didn't have that at the time. Yeah. Looking back on it, I feel like that would have been really helpful because a lot of what happens, I think in general, for those that are, that are introduced to an allergy in their system there, at least for me, I'll actually, no, I'll just speak about for myself. There was a, there was an element of shame when I would go out, yeah. right? Like if I, if I call a waiter over a waitress over and I ask about an item, I would get embarrassed mm-hmm. and felt like I was causing a scene or, or disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was really, really uncomfortable with it for a long time. It would just make me so nervous, embarrassed, bashful, all these things. Right. And, and I actually remember it carrying through until I met my boyfriend. I recall going on a date with Jay early, early on and thinking, oh my God, he's going to think I'm so high maintenance. He's going to think I'm so whatever, right? Mm. 
So I was very, very uncomfortable with it. Um, I think it would have been really helpful to have an advocate, especially when I was first figuring out what was happening and how to navigate it. Yeah. And I had friends who had the same disease. And so we were, I could use them as sounding boards, but I wouldn't say that they were actually, we weren't advocating for one another. We were just processing with each other, which was valuable. Well, and that's the first step too. Yeah. You've got to process before you can advocate probably too. Certainly valuable. When you I were probably, a baby Celia. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I probably could have used more, though, and I probably could have asked for more. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, going back to the question of, like, was that because I was afraid to ask or was that because I was depressed and, like, going through my own other complicated right. psychological stuff? I, I'm not really sure. But I, I do think that it would have been lovely to have that. Mm. It probably would have helped me. Um, and actually, you know, Jay and I had an interesting moment about it maybe a year into our relationship. The first time he saw me get really sick is when he became my advocate. So when we go out, more often than not, he'll say something about it. He'll be the one to say, because he knows that it upsets me to have Mm. to be the high maintenance person at the table. And so oftentimes he will make a thing of it to the server, which is like so lovely and and, sweet. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you too, because like, I also wonder, and this comes up a lot um, in these interviews in general, if that feeling of, oh gosh, I'm high maintenance or I'm causing a scene or whatever. Do you think... That if you were a dude, it would have been easier for you to stick up for yourself? I don't know. That's such a uh, such an interesting... It's a, it's a hard question to answer because it's like, we're not dudes and we don't know. But, you know, like, I always wonder if there is a gender divide in, in how easy it is to stick up for oneself. Well, the thing I can't stop thinking about as, you're, as I'm processing the question is, I don't know any dudes with celiac. And I think part of that is because they don't talk about that shit as much. Sorry, yeah. I can say shit. You but... can say shit. Okay. You can say whatever. Okay. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Tonic Vibes. Tonic offers CBD blends that use organic sun-grown hemp flower from their family-run farm in upstate New York. Their original formulations were first developed by Tonic's founder, Brittany Carbone, to help manage her own anxiety and depression. Combining plant-based ingredients like ashwagandha, black seed oil, lemon balm, and passion flower, their soulfully crafted botanicals work synergistically with CBD to restore our body's essential balance. The magic is in the love and intention that goes into their products from seed to shelf. My favorite, Chronic Tonic, a roll-on for aches and pains that I keep in my purse. Go to Tonic Vibes, that's tonicvibes.com, and enter code INVISIBLE at checkout for 15% off. Even my boss, who did the allergy testing, he doesn't actually have celiac, but he, yeah. I mean, he, he found out he had some other intolerances. But I, I can't think of any other conversations I've had with men about this type of thing. So yeah, I'm not sure how to answer the question. I mean, yeah. I just feel like that's such a can of worms that I've never even gone near. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah. Um, pro- I mean, probably because we do know that women take more of this on. We, we take these sorts of experiences and internalize them and, and make them into a thing that most men don't. Right. Well, and I'm thinking in particular because it's related to food and yeah. diet and, yeah. and the way that we see ourselves, like God forbid, I should say, is this gluten free? Because will that make me look like I'm trying to be skinny or right. I'm on a Cosmo diet or something, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or is it because I'm like, I mean, this happened to me when I first got sick, I started doing elimination diets and I was told, okay, avoid these like seven foods. And it was a pretty long list. And I remember being at a restaurant with my family and saying, okay, to the server, I was like, okay, listen, (laughs) there's like a list of things I'm going to give you. And if any of what I just told you, I want to order has it in it, can't have it. Or I need, you know, substitutions. And I gave him the list and he looked at me and he was like, is this a Cosmo diet? And I was like, 
it's a legit illness, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so it's interesting, like, because no one's ever going to say that to a guy, is this a Cosmo diet? Cause dudes aren't known for reading Cosmo. You know what I mean? But sure. But <laughs> you know, the yeah. association with, and the shame mm-hmm. that's associated so very closely to eating disorder culture to, you yeah. know, then the way in which we, we judge women in, in this country, but in this world, you know, um, and the differences in perception. So I, I'm really curious. I should, I really, I have no idea mm-hmm. if I had, if I suddenly became a man and went yeah. back in time and experienced that whole thing all over again, if it would be different. I just know that some of the first things that people said to me were, Oh my God, you're going to lose so much weight. That was like what everybody said to me. And I, because I remember being like, guys, I just got this testing done. I have this thing. It's so crazy. You're going to lose so much weight. You're going to be so skinny. And, and because I was also still quite disordered at that time, I thought was like, Oh cool. I'm going to get skinny. That's awesome. Of course, none of that happened and none of that matters. Mm -hmm. And the point is that I was trying to figure out a way to treat my body the way it needed to be treated. And that kind of thinking and that sort of reaction to what I was going through was so fucked up. Uh, It's super disordered. Really, really. And, and it, and it messed with me for a long time because then I started to think of it as, as a dot, as a diet Diet with quotes around it, as opposed to something that I needed to do to be well. And those are different things. Well, and that's also the thing, like as, as those of us in this chronic and invisible illness world play around with a elimination diets and having to adjust what we take into our bodies. And I've experienced this firsthand myself too. You know, there's that transition between I'm dieting to lose weight and I'm dieting for my health. Mm -hmm. And it's the health factor where it actually becomes very clear where you go, like, I just feel better when I don't eat that or better when I eat this. And we're not socialized to believe that, you know, eating well is going to make us feel good. Right. It's going to make us look good. Right. Um, so that sort of, that dichotomy of the inner and outer perception is mm-hmm. very interesting, particularly among women. Yeah. Of course, this affects men as well, you know. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm always really interested to hear if, if people have experiences like that. But it's interesting that you say that the first thing that people said every, to Absolutely you, every single person that I told in the beginning said something about weight and how I was going to yeah. look and, and like, oh, you're so lucky. You're like, I wish I had an excuse not to eat bread. I mean, like... It ran the gamut. Like, the reactions so were like, just so messed up. So, like, also I have holes up. in my stomach lining, so yeah, fuck you. Yeah. I was like, like, are you kidding? That's what you want to talk about right now? Is yeah. that, like, you wish you... It reminds me of that, like, that ridiculous line in Devil Wears Prada where Emily Blunt's character goes, I'm one stomach flew away from my goal weight. It was, like, everybody yeah. that I told thought, oh, this is her... This is going to be her excuse, like, her way that she gets to be super skinny. I wish I had something like that. And it's like, well, why is that where your brain goes? Yeah. I can't eat pizza forever, bitch. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> Yeah. I can't have a beer after work. You yeah. stupid person. Yeah. And that's also a super prejudiced perception. Yeah. And that leads me to another question. Great. Which is, where, when have you found yourself in situations, or can you give us some interesting anecdotes, where you've had to actually kind of justify your illness to other people? You know, where you, you've had to be like, yeah, I know I look normal, but like, I'm really fucking sick right now. Oh, I'm sure I've had plenty of them. I'm trying or to, to teach like people good... to believe in something like celiac too. Cause yeah. maybe early on people didn't even believe it. I don't know. Well, I mean, I certainly had people not now because now everybody sort of knows or mm. it's like out there and talked but about, it's taken, about. it's taken a decade. So at the time 
I did get a lot of people saying things like, oh, but you could just cheat and have a cookie or like, oh, you can just, no. oh, I mean like, yeah, okay. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it sucks, but like you can still have, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of sort of like brushing Minimizing. it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do recall, um, actually I do recall going out to dinner with a girlfriend in New York mm. and asking for, what was I ordering? It must've been, it must've been something like really blatant. Like I said, I want to, you know, a sandwich without the bun or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think I was given, especially in New York, there's a different thing. I feel like in LA, it's like the, the celebrity culture, the sort of everybody's Everyone's always on a diet that like I wouldn't have been looked at so strangely. But mm. but the person who was serving us was like, oh, okay, sure. And then it came on bread. And I remember having to call the person over and say, I can't have that. And she was like, well, just take it off. And I said, no, mm. that's not, that isn't the way this works. I, I do actually have a disease and, and I can't have it if it's touched bread. I need it to start over. Yeah. I actually had something, this is silly, but um, I get such joy out of being able to go to like a a fast, casual place and get a sandwich like a regular person. So Mm. this is not a plug, I promise, but Jersey Mike's has gluten-free options now. So you can go and get a sub on on gluten-free bread. How inclusive. Thank you, Jersey Mike's. Yeah. So I discovered this not that long ago and there's one like two blocks from where I work and Mm. on days when I don't have time to make things at home. It's so satisfying to go and order a Subway sandwich. And like, it also reminds me of, you know, getting like something, something like a Subway sandwich before my softball practice or whatever with my dad. Yeah. Like a, it's nostalgic to me too. Totally. So, and I, it just, just makes me so happy. I can have it on gluten-free bread. Yeah. And, um, I did actually have a guy and they're generally really good, but this was a couple weeks ago. Um, they were busy enough and they, they're supposed to change their gloves and change like the surface that they're making the sandwich on. They always ask you, is it an allergy or a preference? And I say an allergy. And so they switch everything. So they switched everything and there's like an assembly line. Right. And then the next, like the second or third person in the line who was supposed to be doing this stuff, like grabbed a bread, piece of bread, touched something that was really bad and then started working on my sandwich. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I need, I can't eat that. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, I have an allergy. And one, and it was funny because one of the guys standing next to the person who made the mistake was like, yo, dude, allergy. Like, you gotta, you gotta right. change, you can't so touch. They, trained. they knew, yeah. but there was the one person who was like, ah, oh, crap, I fucked it up, you know, because right. it's not your reality. So you just think, ah, eh, whatever. It takes some time to build up that level of awareness. Yeah. So I'm sure I've had moments where I've had to justify it. And, you know, back to my, my experience with Jay, my boyfriend, he, I think on some level thought I was making it up at the beginning of our time together. Like he, Mm. I think that there was a part of him that was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the first time he saw me get really sick, he went, holy shit. I, I feel bad. I I didn't realize this is, this is really not fun. Like I, if I get really sick, I can't leave bed. I'm like, I'm in bed for half or three quarters of a day. Yeah. I've had to leave work multiple times. I also had, I, I had experiences in New York this last year when we were back in 2017. I had an experience where my boss was a real jerk about it. Mm. I was, I had a flare up in the middle of a shift and I was really, really sick. And I, like I could barely stand up really sick. It was one of those where the symptoms are also different depending on what you eat, which is really unfortunate. Mm, okay. Whatever I had that day made it like, it was so crampy and I could barely stand upright. It was just so uncomfortable. Mm. And I went over and like left the bar and went and talked to my boss. And he was like, I need you to stay. And I was like, I'm sick. Yeah. I'm visibly sick. Why would you want me to stay and serve people? By the way, raw oysters. Like I worked at a seafood restaurant. I'm like, why do you want, why would you want this man serving your customers? Mm-hmm. 
And he eventually sent me home. But I remember the next time I came, he was kind of weird to me for a while after that. Mm. Like he felt like, oh, he had to bend over backwards to accommodate me. When it's like, I got sick. People yeah. get sick. And if it had been the flu, he wouldn't have been able to exactly, do anything about exactly it. Exactly right. So sure, I've had moments over the years where I get a little bit of pushback. Yeah. These days in my 30s, I give zero fucks. I'm you. not ashamed. I don't care. I know how terrible it is when I have a flare-up. I am not about to to make space for someone else's bullshit. Yeah. If I know that I can't have this thing, mm-hmm. if I know that I taste something that's wrong or there's soy sauce where there shouldn't be or there's crumb where there shouldn't be, yeah. I am I am just I will send it back. I have yeah. no problem with that now. But it that was not the case it when took I was. Time. Yeah. And it's taken a decade. Sure. Right no, it's, yeah. it's exactly right. It took a long time for me to feel comfortable doing that. Do you think in a way that, you know, because you were talking about how you were in that sort of dark space psychologically when you were in New York and mm-hmm. learning about yourself and, you know, sort of in that weird limbo space, right? Do you think that in a way the illness has shaped your perception of yourself or in some way positively um, contributed to your ability to say what you need? I would say so. I think that it has given me an even deeper understanding of how much of an advocate I can be and, 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 and I am for myself. Mm. Uh, I developed that skill where I don't feel like I really had it before. So that in that way, it has certainly allowed me to grow very specifically. Um, I think I've also, you know, when I was younger, I had a hard time asking for what I need. Mm. I still sometimes struggle with that. But this disease make it, makes it impossible not to ask for what I need. Yeah. It is impossible because I refuse to be sick. So, so I have to. Right. Yeah. It forces me to really ask and to be as specific and demand that specificity from others. Yeah. I never had a reason to do that in the same way until mm. I got sick. So, yes, I, I do think that helped me develop in that way. At least develop that strength or yeah. resolve to just... Yeah, and I not think it, take it. I think it also helped me to connect to other people in a really beautiful way. You know, talking about allergies as you're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like issues of the body that are internal that are maybe not apparent to everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Being able to connect with others who are going through experiences like that really helped me own and kind of relinquish my shame around it. Yeah. And feel like a sense of community, like I wasn't alone. Um, There's a place, it recently closed, which is very sad, but there was a place on the Upper West Side of New York, of Manhattan, called G Free Hmm. NYC. (laughs) And it was a tiny little, I mean, the size of maybe 200 square feet, like a tiny little... Like a kiosk, basically. Yeah, a specialty grocery store, 100% gluten-free. And I discovered it the first time I lived there, and it was still open when we went back in, Mm -hmm. in 2017, and... I would just stand in there and talk to the owner and talk. And she had a bunch of, she has celiac and a bunch of people in her family. And Mm -hmm. she's developed this whole like community energy around her store and people that live all over the area will trek to her once a week to do their shopping. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had everything and like stuff that I hadn't had in a decade, you know, and just being able to connect with people about it, I think really helped me feel less alone, less ashamed uh, and more empowered, most mm-hmm. importantly, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, you talked a bit about, you know, getting sick at work. Mm. Do you find that, and first of all, can you walk us through a little bit of, like, what a typical day looks like for you and, you know, where you're making accommodations for your illness mm-hmm. and sort of also tell us along that journey how you're balancing the demands of work and life 
to fit around everything. Yeah. Uh, a typical, like, general day for me. Yeah. I do... Um, I am very much a, a breakfast eater, so I, I always have food within the first hour I'm awake. I generally have coffee first. I don't love to have coffee and food together. I'm really finicky mm-hmm. about that. I don't know why. Like, recently I acknowledge this. I'll have a coffee, and I will make a breakfast that is gluten-free. So... Um, recently I've been on like a, a yogurt nut fruit kick, but otherwise I'll make gluten-free toast with eggs and maybe some cheese. And, um, if it's not that, maybe I'll do, uh, our breakfast burrito wrap and a gluten-free wrap or something mm. of that nature. You, you were telling me you had a smoothie this morning that yes. was with a celiac compliant. Yes. So today I had had a couple of symptoms, small little moments over the last few weeks, mm. Some of it I believe to be stress emotionally related. These things are all related as we, as I think we, most of us know now, the gut health and the mental emotional health are completely intertwined. So I've been feeling sort of off recently. Mm. I have this medicinal shake that I take. I try and take a couple times a month when I have a flare up, I'll have it every day. Mm. It is... It's full of a thousand things I couldn't even begin to name for you. (laughs) Some pea protein, some all natural protein. So it does actually work as a meal replacement if you want it to. You don't have to use it that way. It has a ton of vitamins and minerals. Most importantly, it has a shitload of turmeric in it. So it Mm. is this like neon orange color. (laughs) It was given to me by a doctor, uh, a chiropractor and um, acupuncturist in my hometown of Ithaca, New York. Mm. When I was living in New York in 2017 and I was getting... Pardon me, sick a lot. Mm. I was really not doing well, and we took a trip to my hometown, and I went and saw this woman. She told me about this shake that she had been giving to a young patient of hers who had full blown Crohn's disease. Mm. I think seven or eight year old girl who was having a hard time. Crohn's is rough, right? Like I'm, I feel very blessed that I'm not anywhere near that reality, but. This shake was provided to the, given to this girl. She was taking it every day. And the doctor told me that her, she was actually healing her gut, healing mm-hmm. her Crohn's, that the, that the medicine was actually going in and doing the thing that no one else was talking about yet, which is like, you have to actually heal the damage that's been yeah. done. Right. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the more you eat, the worse it gets. So somewhere in there, some healing action has to happen. Mm-hmm. So I started taking the shake. I was really diligent about it. I was having it every day for like a month. Mm-hmm. And it was everything. I felt oh, wow. so much better, so much stronger. I wasn't having those moments in the middle of the day like, oh, wait, something's wrong again. It was, I felt like better, 100% better. So yeah. I made the shake this morning. It's a nice kind of like... Every, every little while I do it sort of as a maintenance thing. It just helps strengthen my system. Which is smart. Yeah. And actually, I, I got a new package of it when my boyfriend was sick. A few months ago, he had um, a massive infection in his intestines. And there were a lot of questions about whether this was Crohn's coming to life in his body or mm-hmm. IBD coming to life in his body uh, or, or some other gastrointestinal issue. And so I got more of the shake to make for him. Cause, Cause you knew there'd be no harm in him having it. No harm at all. And that it yeah. could potentially help heal him in a way that he hadn't yet been able to do. So yeah, I do very much enjoy using that shake. That's yeah. not every day that I have that, but I did have that this morning. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, the rest of my day before I go to work usually involves some sort of exercise, mm. some sort of secondary meal, um, you know, it's either a salad or a sandwich most of the time, depending on what food we have in the house. Gluten-free bread on the Gluten-free side. bread, of course. Um, I can't go without gluten-free bread in my life. Or, or I mean, I can have rice. I can have corn. Mm. As long as those things are 100%, right? I can't have corn that's touched flour. 
or I can have right. corn. Mexican restaurants are Tough. the best. No, they're actually great. Oh, they're okay? Because there's so much corn used okay, in that it. cooking. So Mexican's actually, like, really, really good I'm thinking, to like, out. flour tortillas and things like that. Sure, I can't have those. But, like, right. but you know, tortillas. chips are usually from the corn, corn tortilla. Yeah. And, you know, I can have tacos and all that stuff if they're on corn. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I go to work. And for the most part, my shifts are six to eight hours long. And I, I struggle to, to find a way to eat in there. So I, I am such a granny and I always have a snack in my back. So this I, is the one thing that always comes up. People with chronic illness. Always have a snack. We always have snacks. Always have a snack. So <laughs> I, I have. Make friends with a friend with chronic illness. You know, for sure. You will never go hungry. So yeah. I almost always have some sort of like protein cookie, gluten free, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, a protein bar, gluten free, of course. Um, something that will sustain you. Yeah, something that has a high protein and a but good this amount of fire. Planning in advance too. Yes, Sorry I said fire. I meant fiber. Yeah, <laughs> good amount of fire in my belly. No. no, and I do. I mean, like when I go grocery shopping at the start of the week, I mm. will buy those sorts of things. I will make sure that I have like a stash of snack-like things that I can throw in my backpack. And if I'm really busy at work and I didn't have time to bring like a meal with me from home, I can run to the back and shove it in my face so I'm not <laughs> dying. Right. Um, but, you know, I often bring my food places and that, you know, that's a thing that like used to carry a certain amount of shame for me. Well, like, like I don't want to also don't let you. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, if you have a big enough backpack, they sometimes don't even look. But well, that's the way to <laughs> skip through that, that yeah. like, you know, loophole. I can have popcorn, so it's not as hard for me. But um, yeah. I love popcorn. <laughs> and, like the crappy movie theater popcorn is so good. It is. Um, best kind, yeah. But I used to feel so nerdy, like bringing a Tupperware with me somewhere. Now I just don't care. I don't mm-hmm. care. I will bring a Tupperware full of crap wherever, like to work in particular yeah. on the plane sometimes. Like I, you know, I don't, I have no shame yeah. now, but I used to. So yeah. that kind of, I think that encompasses everything. I mean, otherwise my, my day to day eating is normal until I don't feel well. Like mm-hmm. Jay and I will go out to eat. We went to a restaurant in downtown LA this last weekend, an, an Italian restaurant. They don't have gluten-free pasta, but I was Ooh. able to have risotto, which was delicious. Oh. I was able to have a, a pork entree with him. That was delicious. So we had a lovely meal and I had no problem. Mm-hmm. If I had had a problem, then the following few days would be about kind of recovering and maintenance and all that stuff. So for the most part, my day-to-day routine looks a lot like quite a few people's mm. until something is up and then I have to do more kind of yeah. maintenance. And it sounds like also, I mean, you're eating meat and dairy. If yeah. you were vegan, it would probably be a lot more Oh, I eat, yeah. No, I, I've gone through phases where I've thrown thrown around the different dieting ideas and I just cannot do it. I can't yeah. do it. I, I need I need to just eat like a regular human, <laughs> whatever yeah. the hell that means these days, but... I, you know, I, I can't give up. My gluten-free bread just makes me feel grounded. It just makes me feel like sustained normal. <laughs> and normal. Right. And there's really something to that. And whether it's the psychological piece or not, I don't even care. I just like it. So I have mm-hmm. it. Um, I will often have gluten-free pasta in the house. Mm-hmm. I will have, I, I enjoy a lot of cauliflower products too. So yeah. have cauliflower pizza in the freezer most mm-hmm. nights, cauliflower gnocchi from Trader Joe's. Yeah. Trader Joe's has gotten really good with their, um, with their, their product options, lines. Yeah. They have a lot of options. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general eating out makes things more and more tricky. So I do my best most weeks to handle my own food as mm-hmm. much as possible. Right. Yeah. Like, if I can hit 80% of the time it's food that I've prepared for myself, then we know we're in pretty good shape. Because mm-hmm. this is why I got so sick in New York so much. I wasn't cooking. We were eating out all the time. It's just more likely, mm-hmm. right? The odds just go up that I'm that I'm going to get sick at, at some point. Right. If it's not my own kitchen, if I'm not handling it, 
if you're not who knows in control of it. Yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah. I try and keep it to that point. Obviously, there are some weeks where that's just impossible, but yeah, we do live in a city that's very friendly. For people like me. So yeah, I don't have lucky. that much of a hard time. Yeah. yeah. We touched on advocacy earlier, and I was wondering if your experience has led you into any kind of advocacy mm-hmm. um, with regard to your particular illness or invisible illness in general. Has it? Have you found yourself advocating for others, even on a small scale, like helping your friends go to the doctor and ask for the right tests or go to the restaurant and know how to order, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the way that it shows up in my own life is that I end up explaining it to people a lot. Yeah. People are very, even, even though we hear about it enough, it's written about enough. It's, it's out in the, in the cultural consciousness enough. I still end up explaining it a lot to people and I'm perfectly happy to do so. It's a generous thing to do. I don't mind. And and I also always say there's a lot about this that I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. I might be this. I can only speak about my own very personal. I'll play one on TV. If I'm okay, Grace. Yeah, Um, Grace and Anthony, are you hiring? I know. You you were just renewed for another season. I'm available. (laughs) No, but like it, it brings me, it actually brings me joy to talk about it Mostly. I mean, obviously, if I'm in a shitty mood and I don't have time, yeah. I don't really want to. But or if you're sick. And yeah. You're, well, if I'm yeah. sick, I really don't want to. But but in general, I, I'm happy to talk about it because I think it's important for people to learn about. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And if it if it helps one other person feel like, oh, wow, maybe I want to do the testing. That's so interesting. Yeah. Then great. Or I have a lot of those similar symptoms. I never really thought that that was a thing that I could name. Maybe I'll do something with that. I often say these days to people to do your own, if you, if you can to do your own elimination and, and, and diary around it, the testing is really expensive. Yeah. I'll just say that. There are, I will say there are, um, a number of companies out there now that are also doing like, you know, breath tests and, and, oh, right. Like um, at home testing, right? Yeah. And, and even, um, like, DNA testing that can help you determine this. So, yeah. you know, or if you've done things like 23andMe or that say, kind of thing, you can like send them to other companies for further analysis. Oh, and that's nutrition. great. Right. Cause that wasn't, but that's starting to happen now. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah. If something like that had been available to me when I was and discovering it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, back in the day, if I remember correctly, the testing was like five grand. I mean, it was what? really expensive. And it wasn't yeah. covered by insurance. I don't remember. I know I was on my parents' insurance. I just recall right. that it was expensive. I don't know if our insurance covered the whole thing or what happened. Obviously, like I was a child fresh out of school. My parents yeah. paid for it. I did not pay for it. I was very lucky that wow. my parents, whether they covered five of it or they covered it, I don't know what they had You'd to pay think for. That, it. that would be covered by insurance at least partially because it's I think kind part of, of it. But it was it, it was not required, right? right. Like it was a voluntary it was a choice to go and get that testing done it wasn't like i was in dire need of the the solution also proved that you have a disease that you need to carefully monitor i mean i could find out i could ask my mom my i'm sure my mother would remember i can't imagine my father would but i don't recall exactly what happened with the paying for it part i just know that it wasn't cheap and i and i've since told people like if you can if you can take care of a good amount of it on your own or through some of these companies that will allow you to do that testing in the privacy of your own home i say go for it because i do think that actually if we are diligent and Mm -hmm. dedicated to figuring it out on our own we can yeah um we don't necessarily need to be pricked and and poked at yeah well and sometimes doing a food journal and which can be triggering for a lot of people right sure and also hard to like keep on top of i I wouldn't have been able to do that because i'm not good at keeping on top of that kind of thing yeah i would forget and probably lie and you know what i mean like like, i don't want to talk about that other cookie i had you know what i mean right it is and sure of course um and it's a total waste of time and energy if you're not being honest about it so depending on who you are and if you can use 
the 23 and me's of the world to get those yeah. inf- those answers yes please by all yeah. means well it's not them it's like other companies through them but still it's like yeah it and sometimes i feel like because i remember to the the doctor that helped me in new york i remember saying this is good because i i wouldn't have done it if i hadn't had a doctor tell me i needed to have a doctor tell me no more beer for you becca right do you know what i mean it, there was something different about hearing it from a doctor than if mm. I had just been like, I guess I'm allergic to beer. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I was definitely. also a kid though. So but maybe I feel different. authority figure yeah. really say to you. Yeah. 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 So, um, I like to wrap up my interviews with some top three lists. Okay, great. I love a list. Okay. So I was wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who maybe sort of on the edge of entering this invisible chronic illness world, mm-hmm. um, what you would recommend for them to do to sort of start leaning in and managing everything. She's got a thinking face on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think the very first thing that I would recommend is to inform yourself in the way that feels least overwhelming. I mean, if that's Googling for you, if that's going to a bookstore and sitting in the health and nutrition section Mm. and just like picking up some books on whether it's lactose intolerance, celiac, Crohn's, IBD, whatever the case may be, right? Right. If it happens to be gastrointestinal. I I actually really love hiding out in bookstores. So if that's your thing, by all means. But if, you know, Googling is where you feel comfortable, great. Like whatever you can do to get yourself to the place where you feel more informed and more empowered, that's Mm. huge, right? Because I do actually think... That's the biggest piece yeah. because then we can go out into the world and feel like we know how to, how to confront our days. Yeah. Um, Knowledge so is power. That would be a really big thing for me. And, you know, inside that experience, if you happen to stumble upon a community that you're psyched about, whether it's an online forum, you know, a foundation, an organization that's really advocating um, for other patients that are going through the same thing, then great. Like if you feel less alone, awesome. Mm. Um, I would say too, to like, Think, think really clearly about what are the things that you like to have in your day mm. that you just don't want to give up and how to make those, how to allow those things to still exist so that you're not feeling like this disease, this, this issue that you're having internally is taking you away from the things that bring you joy in your life. Mm. Because I, I do also think it's important to maintain the the psychological and emotional well-being whilst healing ourselves. Because if we feel like, well, shit, this just means I can never have pizza again and I'm never going to be happy again because I can never... If we go down that path with it, letting the, the victim mentality come in... Then we've just we've just undone so much lovely work. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, I would say like for me, I know I got to be able to have a sandwich. I got to be able to have. okay. so like let me let me start an experiment where I'm going to find my favorite gluten free bread Mm. brand. I'm going to go buy a bunch of loaves of bread from the store and I'm going to try try them on and figure out where my favorite brand is. Mm. And then I'm and you know, and I'm going to talk about that and share that with my friends. And that can make me feel again like a little bit more empowered in my own experience and then that gives you joy if you feel like you're losing it absolutely yeah but I think those are my my first two mm. and my third would be to to own the label and this is sort of like a, a general I don't know abstract thing but like mm. own the label but not let the label own you so like yep. I have celiac but I don't walk around every day like I'm sick right because that does a number on me psychologically. Mm. I can't, I can't personally walk around in the world feeling like a sick person if I'm not, because it's actually not really accurate. I have Mm. a disease, but I'm not a sick person. I'm perfectly healthy right now. Right. So that, that may seem like a secondary thing, but I, I do feel like that's so important because 
first of all, when we encounter people like that in our lives, we're not so psyched on that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I meet a person that's like, I'm just a really sick person all the time and like, poor me, yeah. I don't love that. But if they're willing to open up and share with me what they're going through and we can connect mm-hmm. on that common level, like, oh, you have this thing. I have this thing. Let's chat about that. That's awesome. Yeah. But I, I can't walk around in life as if I'm, I'm the victim of this because mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm very much in control of how I treat my body. And that's, ultimately the thing, right? I will have good days and I will have bad days, but I am not a sickly person. It's important to not let myself go there. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of, you know, the adjustments that you've made to your lifestyle, Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if you have, and this doesn't even have to do with adjustments to your lifestyle, but like if you're having a flare up, Mm -hmm. do you have like comfort activities or do you have guilty pleasures, like things that you'll cheat with or, you know, um, what are your top three things that give you joy that you're not willing to give up, you know? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I've always, I love ice cream and all Mm. things like sweet and cold, all of them. I do not discriminate. I love all of you, (laughs) all of you, icy, sorbet, everything, Mm. all of it. Oh, I just love it so much. (laughs) When I was younger, if I was like homesick from school, I would eat like an entire box of fruity popsicle. Like it just, I don't know. Mm. It just makes me so, I just love cold and sweet. So if I'm homesick, like, uh, oh, this is a thing that I always do. Um, I learned this from my mother. My mother is amazing at like, I don't feel good. I'm not doing it. So right. if she feels even remotely sick, she will cancel all of her appointments. She does not go anywhere. She stays that's home. Great. She gets under a blanket. She reads a book. She does not. If I'm not well, I'm not doing it. Yeah, so that's great. I've gotten this instilled in me from a really early age. If I'm not well, I'm not doing it. So I will call out of work. I will cancel my day. I yeah. will just say like, nope, can't do it because I'm not well. And it's important for me to take care of myself. So yes. like, you can wait. We can reschedule. So once I do that, once I clear the day, mm. I do normally want some ice cream. Um, <laughs> that normally happens. And it can really be anything. I Like I said, I don't discriminate. Um, and, you know, binge watching some sort of television. And mm. these days, and I'm just going to go right into um, the world of marijuana. Mm. The, these yeah, yeah. days, um, getting high really helps me. So mm. I tend to orient myself towards indica because I find that that makes me feel less crazy. I, yeah. I never, I'm an indica person too, I guess. Yeah, like I was never, I was never really big into the use of, of weed in my life. Mm. I grew up around it. It was really kind of everywhere in my hometown of hippy dippy Ithaca, New York. Mm. Um, but it was just never really my thing. And I actually relatively recently in the last five years or so had a lot of sleeping issues and a friend Mm. recommended to me that I try using CBD oil and or indica to help Mm. me just sort of relax and and let go of some anxiety that was preventing me from sleeping. And the fun byproduct of that was that I I found out that it's actually really helpful for my gut because it, it relaxes, right? If we're going to go back to talking about the mental emotional connection to the gut when i am relaxed it's relaxed and it feels better yeah uh and so yeah that's my other thing like if i cancel my whole day and i don't have anything to do and ice cream and weed ice cream and weed not necessarily (laughs) in that order and like on repeat that sounds so great yeah and it really helps yeah and i don't do i used to do the thing where i'd feel like oh i haven't done anything today i feel guilty no what i've done today is help myself feel better yeah so i definitely do those things i'm I'm taking that time to heal too Mm -hmm. which is so important because a lot of the time you know we are in this culture where we're like okay gotta keep going gotta like show up for work and like do all this stuff and sometimes that just makes you worse oh And it really, really does. I mean, my, my emotional, mental well-being is so directly like, Mm. I mean, you could chart it. It's so directly connected. 
that I just know I can't talk to myself that way. And when I start to, I have to just stop, somehow stop it. And I have to just take that extra time because the more I feel like I'm in tune with my own body and taking care and being present for myself, the more I'm ultimately ready to go back out into the world and do whatever the crap I need to do on my to-do list. But otherwise like the to-do list can wait. I'm not that, I'm certainly, I'm a lot of things, but a workaholic is not one of them. And I don't know how I ended up in that state, but it certainly helps me take those extra days that I need to heal. Yeah. Well, maybe we're all recovering workaholics in some way anyway. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, and I think a lot of us should be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Becca, thank you so much for joining us. This is so nice. Thank you. So glad to have had you on. I'm going to eat the rest of my amazing lemon poppy seed gluten free lemon poppy seed loaf uh crinkle yep. crinkle 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 which which i of course brought as a little treat for you so good um, so and good. that was one of those things too where like i brought it and i said to becca when i got here i was like oh my god i'm not sh- i'm pretty sure they probably make it on the same equipment so it's not like oh it is so good it is so <laughs> but she's good. able to eat it because it's like from the same equipment but she's not as severe. she's crying it's so good <laughs> anyway thank you so much and uh, we look forward to hearing more of your journey thank you thanks lauren this episode is sponsored Sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com slash invisible. That's E-M-B-R labs.com and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.